time to talk training, fitness, and health on the Weight Endurance Podcast. We're not doctors, dietitians, or physiologists. We're professional coaches, and your hosts, Cody and Kathy Waite. We've worked with hundreds of endurance athletes over the last 15 years through our training facility, plans, and programs. Within this podcast, we're sharing our own training and racing experiences, along with the knowledge gained from working with our athletes. We'll be shedding light on the training methodologies that we've found to be the most successful in making you a fitter and faster cyclist. Welcome back, everybody. I'm your host, Cody Waite. Hi there, I'm Kathy Waite. And we're your hosts of the Weight Endurance Podcast, fueled by thefeed.com, which is our online endurance sports nutrition superstore partner. And you can go to thefeed.com forward slash teams forward slash we dash podcast dash 2022. Link (laughs) is in the show notes. And sign up with the feed and they'll give you, which just entails giving you the them your email and creating a password so you can order stuff and collect credits and they'll put 20 bucks credit into your uh, account that's awesome yeah so 20 bucks free worth of whatever products you like and products they have so many good things bars gels drinks recovery tools tons and tons of supplements we've been getting um, lucky enough to be getting some different things to supplement with and try and it's been kind of fun the, yeah the collagen in this our smoothies so much and, fun yeah lots of cool stuff oh so, i love the collagen in our smoothies are yeah we, are we gonna talk about that one sometime at some point okay we will, okay yeah. we'll hold off on that. that's more of like a long-term test okay but uh really good stuff at thefeed.com so check them out and take advantage of that 20 dollar credit it's like getting paid to listen to the to our podcast that's right <laughs> that's <laughs> we have to right. bribe people 20 bucks <laughs> yeah, to listen to it. our podcast all right we're on to episode 74 uh, we are going into, we're finishing up our second training block of our base builder. Um, it is now March, believe it or not. Um, and we're going into a recovery week. We just finished VO2 max intervals, which we'll talk about here in a second. Um, but because it's recovery week, we don't have tons of like training related topics to talk about. So what we thought would be great is pulling an episode from the vault again. We did this about a month ago, um, surrounding uh, sleep. It was the sleep strategies. Now we're going to talk about some nutrition strategies because I think these recovery weeks are a good time to think about some other things unrelated to intervals and whatever. Um, but this was one, maybe my m- most favorite episode I think we did. It was towards the end of our first year. It was episode 46 from August 2020. And we do sort of a book report review but um, on a book called Deep Nutrition. And um, it's amazing. It kind of encapsulated all of our beliefs and then mm-hmm. some of like what proper nutrition should be so we'll I get think into it's the best that. nutrition book i've ever read i think so too i think yeah. and i've read a lot and i would i would put that at the very top of my list without mm-hmm. a doubt um so we'll, we'll mention that here in a bit and then we'll turn it over and you can listen to that whole episode and get all the the good bits from it um but before that what have we been up to um well first of all our redevelopment team Ah, oh, yes, Just let's talk got, about them. A small portion of it got back from Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. The first UCI race um, in North America was the last two weekends in Puerto Rico, mm-hmm. kind of an early season because it's like always summer there. Um, and we had some highs and lows. Oh, it was and, good, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's the good, the bad, and the ugly. And and we had a good a good group of riders attend the event, and it was two weekends. 
Some went for both weekends. Some only could go for the first, and some could only show up for the second. Balancing school and right, everything. Right, right. Yeah. And it was amazing that I think we total, in total had nine writers that went. Mm-hmm. We had several sets of parents who also went. They were a big help because we could not make it after all. And it was just, like, great to know that, like, Brady's dad was there and Landon's mom and dad were there. And they could just sort of help support the writers. Yeah. You know, logistically, it's just hard sometimes. So it was good. We had some we had some podiums. And yeah. We had a handful of podiums. UCI points accrued by writers. That yeah. Which set them up for a successful season. A really strong finish in the elite field, which is exciting. Um, and then also some, you know, not so... Great racing in terms of one's expectations, I think. So mm-hmm. there were a lot of good lessons learned yeah. on many spectrums there that uh, I think will be super valuable for the young right, writers. Right. So. right. So we did a lot of like recap calls with each of the writers and let I encouraged them to like tell your version of what happened and then what, what did you learn from the experience and what could you have done better and you know, how many calories did you consume and how did the heat affect you? How was your strategy? How was your pacing? Right, right. It was good. It was really good to talk it through with each of them. Yeah, because no race, in my opinion, is a failure. You may not meet your expectations, but you're always going to walk away from a race learning probably several things. Mm-hmm. If you know, um, And just being able to take a step back, acknowledge maybe your frustrations when they do happen, or mm-hmm. your you know, accomplishments, but mm-hmm. then also take a step back and, you know, take a big picture look of what did I learn? And that's part of developing mm-hmm. oneself as a racer and then um, applying those lessons learned in the future. So yeah. really good stuff. And then we've also, so I just mentioned we did our VO2 intervals mm-hmm. block. So last two weeks we've been doing those. We talked about how to do those in the last episode, um, 73, but how did, I mean, mine went, I Very think well. yours went great, yeah, didn't I, they? I can't complain. I ended up, the first week I was actually in the green for both workouts. Um, in the green, referring to our WHOOP scores, recovery and readiness scores. So we've integrated into our training program the, the WHOOP readiness scores or any wearable HRV monitoring device or a ring. The Garmin has one, Fitbit, you know, there's all different kinds. Apple, all that. But when your readiness scores are telling you your recovered and adapted and ready to take on more load then our training program that we created kind of gives you how to do that like in this case it was add another interval to each of the two uh, vo2 max interval sets so the first week i was green both days tuesdays and thursday shockingly um and did five of each intervals five by two minutes and five by four minutes which was quite a bit of vo2 work and especially right off the start line yeah and i i felt really good nailed it second week I was in the yellow for both. I think that extra effort was kind of kind of catching up a little bit. Um, so I did four of each, but what I did is reduce the recovery interval mm-hmm. um, just a little bit by about 25-30% um, in between those intervals. So in essence, I did this, the programmed amount of work, but reduce that recovery. And I talked about that in the last episode. So if that sounds interesting to you, check out episode 73, where we touched on how to do the same amount of work, but make a workout more challenging by reducing recoveries. So mine went well. How did yours pan out? Well, last week um, on Tuesday, the first day we did um, the intervals, I actually cried. (laughs) Do you remember that? Yeah. I was like super grumpy and like out of sorts. The weather was weird. I don't know what my deal was. Um, hormones. I'll just say it's hormones, probably. 
because females are complex creatures. Yes. And so I just was having sort of a time of it and felt disappointed in my numbers and was kind of beating myself up. And it just was one of those workouts that felt really difficult. Mm -hmm. Even though my heart rate wasn't like crazy, it was just, it felt hard. Mm -hmm. I came home from the workout. I pulled myself together, came home from the workout, looked at my numbers from a year ago, and they were like better. So I'm not sure why I thought I didn't do well. Yeah. So it was like a good lesson, reminder for myself to be more gentle with myself and, you know... Just give it a go and well, it leads into what I really want to talk about is like this spectrum of success Mm -hmm. for workouts because that was a tough one. Thursday was better. This week was fine. Today was a little hard again, but it's the fourth one, end of a long training block. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I had, even though I really had a hard time again today, I had a different mental outlook on the workout and just like a different perspective and I wasn't getting upset. I didn't come close to crying. I was smiling, like I was just happy to be there. But it just got me thinking about how hard we are on ourselves. Mm-hmm. And you just mentioned it in, in terms of the Puerto Rico racers. Some of them had some real disappointments. But was it a failure? Definitely not. Was a race a failure? Right, right. No. It's like, so we need to stop thinking of a race or a training session in terms of good and versus bad or f- success versus failure or black versus white. Like, right. There's a whole spectrum yeah, and that brings in an interesting topic too of like like our training zones and metrics that we we mm-hmm. use. It's for one, it's very easy to get overly, I guess, attached to mm-hmm. the numbers, whether it be your FTP number or your VO two max power number or your heart rate numbers or whatever the numbers are. Um, it's it's easy to get like too attached to mm-hmm. those and think that like. I've got to be at whatever it is, 390 watts for it to be my VO2 max, right? And for me to feel good about myself and to call And my heart rate to line up perfectly, right? You know, under 92% to call it a success. But, I mean, there is no – it's not black and white. Like you said, There's. it's not like you hit – you get to 390 watts and all of a sudden you're training your VO2 max system. It, 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 and below that, you're not, right? It's yeah. not like that. It's It's – it's like a, a spectrum or a gradient of mm-hmm. like a dimmer switch, you know, ramping up. And, you know, if you from if your body's under a little bit of extra stress and your heart rate's just getting a little too high and you end up doing your VO2s instead of 390, you end up doing them at 375, you are still training your VO2 max system, perhaps not quote unquote perfectly, like to the numbers, but that's the whole big picture is like looking at what kind of stress are you or your body under at that in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's any there's a long list of what could possibly be there. And knowing that, yeah, maybe your workout wasn't, quote, perfect, but it was still a very good quality mm-hmm. workout. You know, you, right. you definitely did. You're far from failed. I mean, right. to fail a workout would require a significant shortcoming. It would be like if you were sick or something, you know, I don't know. Right. No, I, I just feel very strongly about this. Like if, <laughs> if you can see me, I'm like clenching my fist and closing my eyes while I talk. But, yeah. you know, I know I struggle with it. I'm, I'm as hard on myself as anyone is, but I, I try to reflect upon, a, you know, an emotional situation and say, what, what, what messages am I telling myself? Like, mm-hmm. why do I go right to this was a failure and instead of, 
this is what it is today. And my body is doing what it can. And I'm really proud of myself that I finished the workout when it was hard, when it didn't feel good. My legs are sore from weightlifting or I didn't sleep that well. And I'm just dragging a little bit, Mm -hmm. but damn it. I went out the door and I did my workout and I'm proud of myself. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So that's, that's my little soapbox, but yeah, there you go. Yeah, don't get too attached to the numbers. The numbers are there to provide like the structure and sort of the targets and, and yeah. goals that we're kind of keeping in mind. But, you know, you got to be, there is a, a range plus right. and minus. Oftentimes, especially with high intensity training, it's more on the minus side. If you come up a little short, it's still okay. You still mm-hmm. got good training in. So, um, yeah, don't get too attached. And that's the same for volume goals, TSS goals, you know, all of these sorts of things. I mean, it, I'm a big fan of the metrics mm-hmm. and assigning programs that are progressive and, and follow these metrics, but you have to know that they're like the coach's best estimate of what's best for you. And if you don't hit it perfectly, it's mm-hmm. okay. You're, in all honesty, you're not, I don't expect anyone to hit it perfectly. Right, right. And when you do, it's sort of like, oh, yay. It's like, celebrate that's amazing right right but that's not really the normal or, or even the expectation it's like do your best to get right close to that and yeah and that, today i wasn't hitting the numbers i hit on tuesday but i just like did this like zen thing where i just sort of neutrally observed and thought oh okay well i'm hitting 250 instead of 258 that's a little bit of a bummer but but that's so close i know basically the same i thing. know it's yeah. like splitting hairs right so right like I had, it was so great that I had no negative like feelings yeah, towards it. I good. just said, this is what it is today. It is actually kind of hot out. Didn't sleep well. This is the end of a four week block mm-hmm. of super intense training. Yep. I'm actually really proud of myself. Absolutely. So, anyway, just hopefully that's a big hug to everybody out there. Yeah. You know, maybe turn off your power meter. Right. I was talking to our good friend, Shawnee Van Lanningham, who if anyone has been in the biking industry for any number of years, will recognize the name. She was national mountain bike champion for years and almost went to the olympics etc i think power meters were just starting to come into popularity towards mm-hmm. the end of her career so she tried it like everyone was doing and sometimes she just didn't use it because it would mess with her mind mm-hmm. if she couldn't quote hit her numbers right right you know so i was thinking about that today like yeah sometimes maybe it's better just to turn it off or yeah Take it off your screen for a session. Right, right. Yeah, it's sometimes it's way more complicated than just a simple number at yeah, times. So. Yeah, so do your best and be proud of yourself for the successes you have. Yep, absolutely. So all that said, we are heading into a recovery week, um, which I'm excited for. I'm ready for Yeah, it. I am too. Well, we uh, have a few more big days of riding. Well, as we record this, yeah, yeah. we still have the weekend <laughs> to get through. Um, and we do have some long, easier, but longer kind of endurance rides to kind of cap off the, the block before we take right. our recovery. But yeah, recovery week ahead. And so I thought that was just the perfect time then to, like I said, switch gears, think about something not training specific, um, but more diet and nutrition mm-hmm. related, which is why I wanted to pull this um, episode out for those that haven't heard it before to listen. Even if you've heard it before, listen again. I mean, I've read this book, Deep Nutrition by Catherine Shanahan, MD, probably, f- I think four times, oh, at least see. three times. I think yeah, I read it wow, three times. that's amazing. And I'm probably due to read it again. Um, yeah. So I'll have to get my hands on it. I think it's back in Denver at the moment. But um, Do you want to just give like a quick 
summary of what they could expect from reading the book? Yeah. I mean, basically our motto, our motto is health comes first and then performance follows health. And health is wrapped heavily into sleep, which we already talked about about a month ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also nutrition, what you put in your mouth. Um, those are like by far the two most critical things. Um, and we've talked previously in our podcast over the seasons the three pillars of health, physical activity, so that's the training we do. You know, we, we're all pretty good at that. Sleep, like I just mentioned, and then nutrition. So through proper nutrition, you make yourself healthier and thereby improve your athletic performance. And, and it's so clear to me now. Like when I was younger, definitely in my 20s, like, man, whatever. Like if you stop at Taco Bell or whatever, you know, in a pinch, it's no big deal, you know. But, and then in, th- in my 30s, it was like, it is important. Like, let's definitely maximize fruits and vegetables and all that kind of good stuff, minimize the junk food. But now in my 40s, there's such a clear-cut definition. I mean, just like a handful of chips at the Mexican food restaurant, and I feel it the next day. I don't feel as good as I would have had I not had the, the oils and stuff that were, like, in the chips or whatever. Right. But But I'm not saying don't enjoy life. I will still go to El Encanto and have chips and salsa. Oh, I love Mexican food. I love chips and salsa and I will still consume it, but I'm going to be a little more conscious about when and how much and all that sort of thing. But, um, so basically, I mean, in a nutshell, everyone knows it's become very cliche that, you know, high quality quote whole foods is really what your diet should be based around. But this book takes it well beyond, that and gives you a lot of really good things to think about and just basically formulates and lines up exactly with what we've become to believe um found to believe Mm -hmm. in in terms of like nutrition when people ask us what what you know diet do you follow or what what are your nutrition principles and this book pretty much lines up perfectly with that um so it, it it talks about eliminating sugar everyone's pretty aware with aware of that and the effects of that and the need to eliminate sugar from our diets, um, meaning like the refined toxic sugar, not necessarily mm-hmm. the sugar like in fruits and stuff, but um, and but the one that maybe less people are familiar with is the the vegetable oils mm-hmm. um, that have become so ubiquitous in our mm-hmm. processed foods and our life that they are actually extremely toxic to our bodies because of the oxidation that occurs in there. Um, and so just by eliminating those two things, you're off like way ahead of everybody else. Um, and then it hits on other points of, you know, the, the plant-based concept that's become sort of cliche these days as well. Prebiotic concepts with beans and fibrous foods, fermented foods, sprouted foods. Mm, I love fermented uh, foods. Yeah, adding all that to your daily diet. Um, also upgrading to grass-fed animal products, mm-hmm. which we've done over the last few years, like pretty much exclusively butters, milks, you know, any meats that we eat and consume eating meat on the bone we don't eat meat a ton uh, but when we do we we always if we're have the opportunity to eat ribs mm-hmm. or something we we go for it like right i don't at, like to cook that stuff right but man if i'm at a restaurant and i can get like a really nice rib plate or i think we had lamb on the bone the other day yeah, somewhere yeah. like that was fun yeah yeah the because on the bone you get all that like cartilage and that soft tissue stuff that has like so much health benefits to it. it's unbelievable and then the organ meats mm-hmm. um We've probably felt fallen a little short. Oh my God. You know, last night, did you hear Shawnee and I talking about liver no. and onions? Mm-mm. She had a roommate um, from the South that she in college, and this girl was a great cook. She'd come home from whatever school, and the girl, the roommate had, had whipped up liver and onions 
and she like knew how to do it for real. So it's like oh, it's livered really onions good. and it's, collard greens, yeah. and Shawnee fell in love with it. She's like, oh my god, this is so good. If it's prepared properly, right, right, it's right. really good, actually. If it's not prepared properly, it's not very good. Right. But, I think that's what I'm nervous about, but we just need like a roommate like she. she yeah, had. yeah. But anytime you can kind of get on that or get add it to your soups and things is a good way to do it too. But And then also um, enjoying... Um, the health-boosting bone broths, um, which we've talked about in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're big fans of bone broths. We love to make soups. In fact, we've been um, buying, for convenience, the roasted chickens mm-hmm. from Sprouts, like the organic roasted chickens, peeling all the meat off of it. So we have that, you know, that lasts us a few days for making food. And then we, you've been taking the carcass. Yeah, and Sophia helps me. She's been a great help. Yeah, and chopping some, some vegetables and stuff and then making our own bone broth. I know. I'm really proud of us. Yeah. She's like nailed it, actually. She's sort of spearheaded the whole thing. But I love it because you get this $8 good quality chicken. Yeah. You get all the meat. And then instead of throwing the carcass away, we're getting another couple days worth of like soups and stuff. It's way it. easier than I thought. I, I now feel terrible. I was throwing away these carcasses all these years. But yeah, I just low boil it for a few hours with onions or parsnips, leeks, garlic, what, whatever sort of floats your boat, carrots, yeah. um, even mushrooms the other day we put in. It's kind of whatever's left in your fridge that's sort of wilted and gross and you don't want to eat anyway. Right, right. Just chop it up. Boop, put it in. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. And what I want to do too is here in, in Cave Creek where we're staying in Arizona, there's that grass-fed butcher that's on oh, the corner. Are you going to go to him and ask for scraps? Yeah, well, we probably have to buy them, but we could probably buy the, the bones, oh, okay. like some beef bones, and we can make beef. That'd uh, be great. Like a beef broth, too. That'd be really fun, too. But anyway, then, um, so yeah, hang on and listen to the, the rest of this episode. It goes deep into the stuff. It's really interesting stuff. Um, and then lastly, our featured product this week from thefeed.com lines up perfectly I by design pat myself on the back uh we have been testing epic provisions products from them and it's a very unique it's a definitely a 180 shift from the gels and drinks we've been kind of trying out and reviewing epic provisions focuses on they actually produce a very high quality bone broth mm-hmm. um, and glass jars um, and then also this will sound weird but like meat bars um, so it's like grass-fed, high-quality meat bars of different kinds of meats. And then also these snack strips, which is basically like a super high-quality upscale mm-hmm. jerky of sorts. Um, and there's like salmon and Wagyu beef and uh, venison and elk and all these different um, varieties. But I had the bone broth. I loved it. Um you didn't actually get any. I didn't. The I jars know. were small and yeah, I sort of Yeah, thanks a lot for sharing. Um, <laughs> they were good. <laughs> I was kind of greedy on the bone That's broth. hilarious. Um, but you, you enjoyed the beef bars, yeah, right? Yeah, I know that sounds strange, beef bars. It's sort of like just like a thicker jerky. Um, I did. I do. And we have a few left. I keep them in my backpack that I sort of carry around as my purse because if I'm, I get hungry out of nowhere, you know how that goes. And then it's nice to have something available to consume that is not just a bar like, like a, a carbohydrate, um, carbohydrate bar grain yeah. bar right and it, it it the first time i had the bar the beef bar the texture was just a little bit weird for me did not turn me off it was just a little bit different so if you eat it and you go mm, i don't know give it a second try mm-hmm. but it tastes good i know it's healthy i know it's grass-fed beef so it has a lot of you know good minerals in it and um you know good quality and i, I just like having them with me i i keep some in my pickleball bag so when i'm playing for several hours, and I'm totally sick of sugary stuff. Yeah. I can actually eat some real food. Well, I think that's the ticket with these. These aren't really for, like, taking on a ride, per se. I suppose mm-hmm. you could. Um, they're more like a 
go, go between. Yeah. yeah, like if you're traveling or you're out, you know, whatever, and having them at your desk or whatever, and it's like really good high quality protein. Um, and you then can't you replicate at home. It's like, what are you going to do? Like take a slab of beef and wrap it in saran wrap? Right. Like, that's just silly. Yeah. So I think those are great. And they have really good flavors. We we just had the beef apple. No, what do we have? Oh, I don't know. Some sort of beef. I'm looking at their website right now. <laughs> but they have like a wild boar one, we a venison, one. Yeah. bison, a couple different chicken versions, a lamb one. Um, all pretty good. And then... Um, the snack strips were interesting too. There's like a salmon. Um, again, they're a little weird, like your first bite, and then you're like, okay, I can get into this. Um, the I white really beef. appreciate the craftsmanship of, of it. Yeah, yeah, it's all super, super high quality for sure. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, check it out. Epic Provisions. Do we give a discount code for? Yes. Uh, 10% off we podcast dash epic dash TFP10. And I'll mm-hmm. put the link in the show notes. But. Um, it all kind of lines up perfectly with the deep nutrition discussion. That, For sure. Uh, and I just think it's up. like most of the adults who listen to our podcast like, have to go to work and all that stuff. So like, put some of these in your bag to take to work so you're not just eating like cupcakes from the snack room. Absolutely. Well, good. We'll leave it here. Um, hopefully you stay tuned. Listen to this deep nu- nutrition discussion. And then we'll be back next week uh, to talk about our last block of our base builder training Um, and some other things as well, and hit on the anaerobic power intervals. Awesome. All right, well, enjoy Cody's book report, and we'll talk to you soon. And this book, Deep Nutrition, that we're going to kind of talk about here a little bit, um, written by Catherine Shanahan, MD, and her husband, Luke Shanahan. Um, And we'll put a link in the show notes to it if you want to read it yourself. Dives into this whole concept and, and really the nutshell or like the underlying concept, I guess that I pulled out of this book is that, um, life is about cellular reproduction. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I know, I know from a physiology textbook that our red blood cells, for example, um, cycle through, meaning they last and then re, um, replenish, replicate Replicate. themselves about every 90 days. So Mm -hmm. about every three months, you know, you have a fresh batch of, red blood cells. And I think the other cells throughout your body, depending on what the, you know, org, organ or material in your body is, have different rates of this reproduction. But we're constantly reproducing ourselves. I think I even read or heard somewhere that it's like something like every seven years or something, we're, we're like an entirely new yeah, cellular material. Maybe someone can chime in if that's actually <laughs> true, but I have also that's heard sticks that. sticks in my mind, yeah. And I told you... Um, my silly anecdote about that is I, I had my first period when I was 14. And then when I was 21, I realized I'd outgrown my exercise-induced asthma that I'd had in high school and okay. college running. And someone must have told me that seven-year thing because I remember thinking like, oh, it's like my body sort of rebooted. You're like a new person, it was, right? I, maybe that's not even true, but right. it was like really weird. Coincidentally, And yeah. then uh, coincidentally, seven years later, I had babies. Oh, so, okay. sort of so odd. Pattern, I was on a sure. seven-year cycle. Right. So, yeah, our bodies are constantly reproducing itself mm-hmm. at that DNA cellular level. And the number one thing that contributes to whether that goes well or not mm-hmm. well is what we put in our mouth. Right. The, the food communicates food. to the cells. Right. And so if you don't have a great diet, when those cells are reproduced at whatever rate they get reproduced, 
they're going to, those kind of new copies are going to not be quite as good as the original copy, mm -hmm. right? And if you do that over months and years, your body is degrading itself yeah. and getting old. That's basically what aging is. Whereas if you eat well, put good food in your body, those copies are much more similar to the original or the previous copy and you are not quote unquote aging as quickly or you know your body's lasting. Well, you hear longer. the term oh she aged aged so yeah. gracefully or she aged so well. Or she well, looks but, well for her age or looks good for her age or whatever. People act like it's a mystery but we're learning that it's really not a mystery. It's it's simple at some level that it, de it depends on what you put in your mouth. Right. The tricky part has been that our society fooled us into thinking that some foods were healthy when they're not. So we're learning more and more now that we were told the wrong thing. Right. Exactly. Um, so in essence, I mean, your health comes first. Performance follows health. And that's why we're talking about this kind of subject because we're not going to talk much, if at all, about training. We do plenty of that. I mean, our three pillars of success, I guess you could say, and, and we did not come up with these, but we certainly align ourselves with these is movement and exercise. Well, for us, that's the training. We talk plenty about that. Sleep and stress management. We've talked quite a bit about that in, in the past, specifically in um, episode three of our podcast, we talked about sleep and stress management. And even much more recently, episode 42, we talked about sleep strategies. Mm -hmm. So plenty to listen there. And then diet and nutrition is that third element. And if you can nail those three things, you are going to be a healthful person, you know. And therefore perform better yes, athletically. exactly. Because that health leads to better performance. And that's kind of the underlying concept here. So, all right. So um, diets, I mean, we've said this before on a previous podcast that people really should not prescribe to a diet and diet in quotes yeah with a name you, you shouldn't if your diet has a name you're probably not doing it as good as you could do it mm -hmm. in terms of your actual diet um instead eat for health right and right. in the book she actually what did she refer to her concept as actually yeah, the human well, then diet. ironically right. she <laughs> calls her eating philosophy um the human diet right well everyone needs a name for their book title right this, as I read the book, it did make me think about the paleo diet. Mm -hmm. And I've never read a book about the paleo diet, so take what I'm going to say with a grain of salt. But I've had friends who've been very fervent about the paleo diet. Mm -hmm. And I be, became very critical and judgmental. And like resistant. And resistant yeah. to it because I, I don't like someone telling me what to do. And I also don't like names you know like this you're cool because you're paleo well then there's like a set of rules yeah and, yeah that's yeah. all from my childhood, <laughs> childhood with the strict christian church i went to um but the i think the idea with the paleo that whoever came up with it and coined that term their their spirit their the spirit of it was was beautiful and just like this human diet that she's calling um the, the philosophy of her eating in this book. Just that we need to go back to nature. Like, how did our ancestors eat? Because they they had good genes from how they ate. They ate from the earth. Right. They gleaned from the earth. And I think that's the point, the part that stuck out to me when I read the book. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that could be said about any quote-unquote diet because, like you just said, paleo as a whole is actually a great concept. Mm -hmm. 
veganism, I mean, as a whole, I think it's a great concept. It's wonderful for the environment. Mm -hmm. There's no question about that and and animals and things. Um, You know, by not eating any animal products, I think you're maybe missing out on something. Just like in the paleo, I know they're anti-legume, right? Yes, I And I think no legumes, I think you're missing out on something. I don't think you're supposed to do grains either. Or or grains, yeah. That's probably why I got so annoyed with that one. Yeah, and I mean, the list can go on. I mean, the Atkins Atkins diet is about the meat and stuff. So they maybe they have that part right, but then they're missing maybe some other parts. And you could, you know, go on high fat, low fat, you know, low carb, keto, all that, you know, whatever diet you're on. There's underpinnings of positive things. Mm But then you're also sort of missing some things, in, right. in, in my opinion. But, so the author um, of this book just started looking at cultures around the world. Right. Who, they ate very differently, like the Eskimos versus the... Um, the French or whatever. The French yeah. and like people from islands and, and warm cultures. Right, because you're going to eat what is in your environment. Right, but yeah. the, the bottom line was they were all very much about what can we get from the earth and the surroundings and nature. Yeah. It just, yeah. It's really beautiful to look at it that way. Yeah, it really is. And another takeaway too, that I, I got from this book that I really enjoyed was she said, rather than looking to scientists and, and the like for creating and mm-hmm. food and telling you what to eat, that you should look to the chefs. I loved this within part. your culture. Right. So just like you said, each culture where you live around the world, has their own cuisine and their own chefs and cooks. and But what do all those chefs and cooks have in common is that they're using local food f- as fresh as possible. As fresh as possible. And therefore, it's as healthy as possible right. for your body. And they're not refine, overly refining things and mm-hmm. using packaged foods when you go out to a, a, a good restaurant or eat something from a, a, a quote-unquote chef. Right. Whoops. Um, and I thought that was great, not only because I went to culinary school, but um, it's true. I mean, I mean, in the culinary world, at a decent, to good restaurant, they're using very good quality ingredients, and that makes food actually taste good. Right. You know, and it tastes good because it's actually healthful for you. I love putting it in that framing because sometimes people think healthy food tastes crappy or bland or boring, but healthy food or healthful food should be quite delicious. Yeah, yeah. And and, and people will argue, well, you know, the McDonald's, the Big Mac or whatever, whatever your favorite hamburger <laughs> of choice, that's so delicious. But the food scientists have figured out the levels of sugars and processed oils and chemical additives to put into those foods that make right. them extremely addicting. They don't actually taste good. Like if you go taste real food, it's going to blow that Whopper or whatever out of the water. But that Whopper is extremely addictive, and that's why you crave it or people will crave it and have to get it. And then when they get it, it's like, oh, that's so good. But that's a craving. It's an addiction. Um, Cigarettes don't taste good, but people that smoke love smoking, right? I mean, it's really The other problem with fast food is that it's convenient and it's very inexpensive. So it becomes alluring to people. Right, right. So I, I get that for sure. Yeah, so the the underpinnings, you know, eat really fresh, eat free range, eat organic as much as you can. You know, all these sorts of things lead to good, tasteful, and very nutritious foods. Um, yeah, let's dig, dig deeper because she had more than just sort of like the basics that everyone knows. Because I think everyone knows they're supposed to eat less processed food, avoid the boxes, the sugars, the processed oils, right. um, eat 
what do they say? Like eat the outside of the store and avoid the middle of the store. Right at the grocery yeah, store. So yeah. So I think everyone kind of knows that. And if you, if nothing else, you can just shop more from the outside of the grocery store. You're going to be doing much better than a lot of people. Right. But um, she, she was very. It was very easy to understand her book because she t- focused on two things you absolutely should not have in your diet, and then like four or five things you should have in your diet. Right. And I like things simple, simple rules, simple guidelines. Um, so why don't you take it from here and talk about the the things you should not have? Yeah. So two things. It's and they're fairly simple. Um, number one, everyone would agree. No, I don't think anyone would disagree with this. You remove processed sugars from your diet, mm-hmm. like eliminate them essentially. With the exception of as an athlete, when you're training, consuming sugars in the form of like gels and things of that nature are necessary. So don't take, you have to take that context out. We're talking about in your daily life, right? And your, your meals surrounding your workouts. Remove those processed sugars. The reason being is, um, well, first, a little backstory on sugar. I mean, sugar used to be super hard to obtain. I mean, mm-hmm. it was a really high pri- high prized possession that you would really, you could only get it from sugar cane, which is in like the tropical regions of the world. Um, it was quite the process to get. It was expensive. I mean, in the book, she, you know, laid out this elaborate story of mm-hmm. like how people would have like these special boxes to, you know, in their homes that had the sugar in it and they would just... Hold on to it, use it sparingly. Oh, yeah. And it was like amazing. Well, I used to read, um, a, I love to read. Mm-hmm. And the, one of the book sets I loved as a child was The Little House on the Prairie yeah. set. And that is a vivid memory from those books okay. that Ma Ingalls had a precious store of sugar and it was not to be touched. Right. And one time, Ma and Pa Ingalls went away for the weekend or something. And the kids, and the got kids into it. <laughs> yeah. And it was like, there was hell to pay when they got back okay. because. That was precious. Right. And we don't think about that anymore because you go to Safeway and you buy a bag of sugar for like a dollar. It is not a big deal. Right. Well, and that sugar that you're getting is not, most likely, especially if it's a dollar, actual like sugar sugar from sugar cane. So what they figured out is sugar is delicious, the manufacturers. <laughs> it's difficult to make. It's, you know, only in very few places can you actually grow sugar cane and process it and all that sort of stuff. So they figured out, oh, we can actually create sugar from beets so Mm. the sugar beet blew up and it's one of the biggest like global uh, farming items there is now very cheap easier to produce the price of sugar came down and now you can get sugar anywhere and everywhere then on top of that we figured out how to get sugar from corn right corn syrup and that's even worse for you makes sugar cheaper and it makes foods processed foods taste quote better and more addictive so the you know the food industry was all over it because they could make better tasting food that people are going to buy more of. Right. And it was also a bit more shelf stable, I believe as well. So you know all of these things that you know as the refined sugar industry exploded, our diets deteriorated significantly and down it went. Uh we've already said sugar is highly addictive. I mean there's studies showing it's as much or more so than like cocaine in terms of like laboratory mice and those sorts of things. I mean, I can attest to that. I because you tried cocaine. <laughs> no, but I've yeah, a sugar you, addict. You are a sugar addict. I've cut it out mostly. I mean, I, I'll still nibble little things here and there. But um, when I I said this in the last episode, the three weeks in Winter Park, I had no access to sugar. After about ten days, that craving did go away, mm-hmm. and then things actually 
tasted sweeter, like the natural sugars right. in the foods I was eating, like fruits and things. And I didn't, the cravings went away. It was right. really cool. Well, and the same for me for eliminating alcohol. That's a huge sugar also reduction. Sugar, and, right. and yeah, I don't crave it that much either. Right, right. And it, you, you will for a while. Oh, I did, for sure. And then you kind of break that, that cycle. And then the other big thing, too, is that sugar turns to fat. Mm-hmm. And we were told in the 80s and 90s, you know, don't eat fat because fat makes you fat. Well, that's incorrect. It's sugar that makes you fat. And what happened in the 90s, low-fat foods, well, they don't taste good, so they add more sugar. So now we're taking the fat, which is satiating. mostly good for us yeah. and satiating, replacing it with sugar, and no wonder we're, you know, obese now in the yeah. 2000s. So, um you know, people are recognizing that and learning that and, um, you know, things are slowly changing in the positive direction for that. But um, sugar makes you fat, basically. And then the other really important thing, too, is the sugar that you eat feeds the, quote, bad bacteria in your gut. So mm-hmm. the gut biome, I love stu- like reading about gut biome. And that yeah, whole... I think I just picked up another book for you yesterday. Yeah, you did. Yeah. And... Um, you know, there's good and bad bacterias, the, but the sugar feeds the, quote, bad bacterias. And those bad bacterias then grow and they kind of push out the good bacteria. So it really makes having a good microbiome in your gut very difficult if right. you're consuming a lot of sugar. So major reasons to, to remove it. Yeah, she was pretty serious about it. Like sugar is... The killer, the number one killer. Yeah, and she she herself has had a lot of um, connective tissue disorder in her family yeah. and her personally and she would tell stories about how she would when she stopped drinking or eating sugar in her diet her knee pain was gone like in a couple of days right it was really fascinating yeah and then there were also bits in there about you know it's, it's sugar that's leading to like the hardening of arteries mm-hmm. and things like that not, not fat and fat. cholesterol like was right. first thought and it, you know it's the sugars that are causing a lot of the strokes and heart attacks and things in people too so just not good. It's it's basically poison. Yeah. Um, you can enjoy it in small amounts and special occasions, but as far as a daily diet, it needs to go. Sound good? <laughs> Preach. <laughs> yeah. Um, number two. And this was a, a real... This, this one was amazing. This, yeah, this one was definitely a bigger eye-opener. Um, something that I've been aware of, but didn't, I guess, realize the... Severity extent of it, and yeah. severity of it, um, and that is removing processed oils from your diet. Well, this is one of the huge problems in our society. The hoodwinking I referred to right. is we were told, I think it was the '90s, that canola mm-hmm. oil was the healthy oil, right? Because butter and saturated fat was were the bad. enemy, yeah. Right. And so everyone and was switching over to fats. the canola oil. Yeah, canola oils, vegetable oil, soybean. You know that's those oils. This makes me so angry. Yeah, and, and again, the food industry got their hands on it. It's and cheaper. They, and they're profiting from it. Yeah, these polyunsaturated vegetable oils are much cheaper than um, saturated fats because saturated fats are, for the most part, found in animal products. Um, coconut oil and palm oil also have saturated fat. Those are some of the few plant sources, but most of it comes from animal sources. Animal sources are expensive. Vegetable sources are cheaper as a general term. So the food industry was on board with that. And then they even figured out much earlier than I realized, it was like in the late 1800s, they figured out that bubbling um, hydrogen through the oil and compressing it and heating it up in such a way you can oxidize the oil 
and basically turn a liquid polyunsaturated vegetable oil to a solid at room temperature, mm. giving it the characteristics of saturated fat. So much cheaper than butter um, and more shelf stable. Yeah, that's what was sticking out to me, the sh shelf stability of it. Yeah, so they then could produce these, put it in their packaged foods, and it, you've got the taste of butter, but it lasts longer and it's cheaper. And that's your hydrogenated oils and your trans fats, they call them today. So. Mm. What's really great is people, I, I think as a society, most people in the know know that trans fats are bad for you. They've become, well, they're outlawed or banned or whatever in Europe, from what I've read. They're becoming that way here, I believe. I mean, um, all packaged foods are removing trans fats if they haven't completely already, but it's, it's on the way out for sure. I mean, everyone recognizes that it's truly harmful. It's truly harmful. For you. Uh, but the other thing that most people aren't quite on board with or realize yet is that just the, the, the left alone vegetable oils are also harmful for you. Yeah. I, I have to be honest. I didn't really know they were toxic or harmful or bad. I knew they weren't ideal. Mm -hmm. and they, that if you could choose, you should choose an olive oil or a canola. I'm oh, sorry. An olive oil or an avocado oil or um, coconut oil. But I didn't, I didn't see them as like this death bottle. Right. Right. right? So we, I think we had a little um, container of it in our pantry that Noelle was using for some baking for projects. Baking, yeah. And then you know how much I love chips. Like I have a salty tooth. And I wouldn't think about how gross it was that these chips were cooked in canola oil or sunflower oil or safflower oil. Right. I just thought, oh, I can eat this. It's fine. I'm yeah. just eating a little bit. Yeah. And in, I mean, in a nutshell, the why they're so bad for you is that to process, to get these fats, oils, out of these basically fat-free things like soybeans and corn and the like, they're having to use extremely high pressure and high temperatures to extract the the oil from from the plants, what happens though is that then that oil, because of the high temperature and high pressure, gets oxidized, mm -hmm. and you're um, it's not too dissimilar from the trans fat hydrogenation process. Now they do still remain liquid at room temperature, so they're not technically hydrogenated oils or trans fats, mm -hmm. but they're figuring out that they're just as bad and in some cases almost worse for you. Right. And the term that she uses in the book that I think we'll start hearing more and more about is um, calling them mega trans oils. Okay. Um, so keep an ear out for when, if you hear that in the media in the coming months and years. So these things are just not good for you. Yeah, and she delves really deep into, really deep, yeah. into both it's fascinating. these topics, sugars and processed oils. So if anyone is interested, read the book because we can't do it justice. Yeah, we're pulling the simple stuff. Oh, out the here. simple stuff. Yeah. But the sugars, the processed sugars and the processed oils are linked to allergies, nerve damage, neurological disorders like autism. And we should really take that seriously. Look at the rise of autism in our kids. Yeah. And let's look at the link to oils. Um, and then age-related diseases and poor health. But yeah, she, so she takes a deep, deep dive into both topics, and it's it's definitely worth reading. Yeah, absolutely. And even if a young kid has autism, you're like, well, they haven't consumed enough bad oils and stuff in their life. But it goes all back to that DNA 
structure of the cell reproduction. It's not only in the individual, but also what their parents consumed yeah. and what their parents' parents or the kids' grandparents consumed. And, you know, those things are now starting to catch up to us second and third generations later. That that's why the, this new young population, we're seeing things like autism and obesity when a kid is like six years old or whatever. You know, right. It's like, so how do they become obese at six? Yeah. Because sadly, their parents gave them these genes that weren't ideal. Right, right. Yeah, I, I like that focus in the book. And again, she takes a deep dive into it. And we can't do it justice, but it was really fascinating. Yeah. And as I read it, I was thinking as a mom, like, oh, I wish I could go back and do my pregnancies again. And they were a long time ago. And <laughs> I, I did a fairly good job. But if I knew now what I, or if I knew then what I knew now, yeah. I, I would do it differently. And I would give the girls, like, the best, best, best chance I could have given. Right, right. Because, you know, I, poor, poor Noel has hypoplasia, which means she has less enamel on her teeth. And that was from what I couldn't give her. Yeah, you in were utero. depleted. Yeah, yeah going and that into makes it. me really sad. Right. Yeah, very interesting. So, it's fascinating. Yeah, highly recommend that. Basically, the first half of the book talks a lot about these subjects. Um, and the last little thing, and I've said it kind of already, basically, but food manufacturers know that adding these processed sugars, processed oils to foods in the right amount makes mm -hmm. them highly addictive. And that's, I mean, that's the underlying thing. So it's like avoid the processed foods and you're going to cut out most of those sugars and oils out of your diet because right. it's easy if you're making food from scratch or mostly from scratch to not include the oils and the sugars and things. So, um, yeah, really good stuff. That's it. So we talked about what we, we should remove from our diets and let's talk about what we can add. And I did find this really cool because I I didn't I hadn't thought of some of the categories that she that she referenced. So um, yeah, it was let's a bit get of into a, it. Yeah, it was a, really kind of fun to learn. Yeah, it was a bit of an eye opener and 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 also connected a lot of dots too. Because I think in general we have you and I have a really good overall diet, but but. I love that we can add more good stuff. Right. That's what I'm taking out of it. Exactly. Like the, the sprouted foods, and we're going to get to that. I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but I don't know anything about them, and I'm excited to learn We're going to learn. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So number one, and we've said this before on the show, increase your vegetable slash natural plant food intake. I mean, everyone kind of knows they need to eat more vegetables. I mean, it should be literally the bulk of your diet. It should be natural plant foods slash vegetables. Um Reasons being, um, fiber is one of the big ones. Um, and also, it's just the freshness. I kind of got ahead of myself. But that the fresh foods, mm -hmm. ideally locally sourced, yeah. depending on the time of the year, of course, um, and where you live and all that sorts of things. Um, well, this is what makes me want to live in a little village in Italy because I feel like we could have a better chance of obtaining, those. obtaining yeah. what we really want. Like walk down to the market every day and buy the radishes and the greens that were pulled from grandma's garden. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and here we have like Safeway. Right. It's kind of disappointing. <laughs> um, I typed in here, beans are the bomb. Um, eat a lot of beans, whatever beans you want. Soybeans, <laughs> black beans, pinot beans. Not jelly beans. Garbanzo beans. <laughs> yeah, not jelly beans. Um, beans are amazing. Or I guess legumes is what we should probably call them. But um Beans are great. Don't avoid those. That's my big hit against the paleo diet I don't, yeah. and the Whole30 diet, I think. Um, I don't understand why, but um, they say don't eat those. But they're very, very good for you. So much fiber, so many good nutrients. Yeah. 
Um, and then the vegetables and natural plant foods just provide those prebiotics for your gut biome. Right. And, and prebiotics are essentially a fancy term for the food that's feeding the bacteria, the biotics, in your gut. So you've got bacteria in your gut. You want to feed them these vegetables. And some vegetables have more prebiotics than others, things like artichokes, green mm-hmm. banana, you know, greener bananas, um, there's a list of other ones, but they're particularly full of prebiotics that right. feed that good bacteria and it helps it flourish in your gut. Um, now, one little caveat too that I thought was really interesting is she was adamantly against um, nut milks. And, oh, adamantly against. Yeah, and okay. processed um, like vegan meat, like fake meat. Is she against tofu? Tofu was an interesting subject. Cheap tofu, yes, because it's similar to the vegan meat in the okay. sense that it's highly processed and likely oxidized in the in the processing, high heat kind of thing. Okay, similar to the oil situation, um, but actual tofu, the way it was originally created in Japan, or you know, where it's actually a fermented. Oh, sprouted I'm sure I've food. never bought the right kind. Right, so okay. we're gonna have to research where to get that or how to get that. All right, so Whole Foods or something, but. Um, but basically the cheap tofu is not great. And it, I yeah, can see why now. Though. Yeah. It's all these like vegan burgers and stuff are so overly processed that they actually are not healthy for you. Mm. You know, I mean, there's no meat in them. And if you're a vegan, that's great. But Oreos are also not, are, are I vegan. I was going to say that. It took my mind. <laughs> so veganism isn't like this. If something's vegan, doesn't mean you just go ham on it. It's... I'm going to go ham on those Oreos, <laughs> which actually we did last week when we had them after the race. <laughs> um, <laughs> Confession time. And then nut milks. Now, if you have a legitimate milk allergy, there might be a reason to source nut milk. And actually, if you make your own nut milk, where it's literally like a handful of almonds and water, is fine. But these packaged, again, highly processed mm-hmm. nut milks that you buy at your normal grocery mm-hmm. store are loaded with usually sugar, although yeah. you can get the unsweetened kind, but also all these like gums and asters and yeah. additional things, to make you know, cellulose and things to make last. them like thicker and creamier and more shelf stable. Yeah, and th- those are not good for you. Yeah. So if you can't drink dairy because it's not, does does not work for you, Yeah, make your own almond milk or find a, literally where it's almonds and water. Yeah, you I'm know, sure it's or out whatever. there. Because no. actually, and I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but one of the takeaways I took from this uh, was it's okay if you're not Martha Stewart, make little home homebody. To make everything yeah, yourself. You don't right? have to do that. I, that's not me. I'm going to make some things. I make my own kombucha, whoop-de-doo. But I, I don't have the energy to like make my own breads and stuff. So you, she gives a lot of good resources in this book about you can t- eat the Ezekiel bread for the sprouted grain bread, which I do buy. Um and we can give some more it's tips finding as we go. Those yeah, sources. Just don't yeah. feel like you have to make everything. Like, right. All of a sudden, you don't have to go hoe a garden in your backyard and <laughs> and do all these things. Right. That is true. Um, cool. So increase the vegetable and natural, unprocessed plant food uh, material in your diet. Number two, ferment. Add fermented and sprouted foods. Yeah, I love this one. Yeah. So back in the day, apparently. That's what the bulk of the grain. So before we could refine grains into flour, into flour to produce bread and other things along those lines, we sprouted the wheat or whatever grain berries, mm-hmm. and then that allowed them to like pulverize them. Yeah, and into, they grind them up. Yeah, into mortar in, the pestle mortar. Is right, that what it's called and and make bread. Yeah. So apparently, bread was quite a bit different many generations ago than what 
you know, we get, it's not, it wasn't quite as like fluffy and light um, as it is now. So those sprouted grains are like far, far superior, Mm -hmm. which is really interesting. And that's not something I'm super familiar with. I'm not either. I've been buying this Ezekiel bread at the grocery store and and FYI to anyone, it's usually in the freezer because it It, doesn't last long. Right. It's not as shelf stable. Um, And I just knew it was healthy and didn't have the oils. And so we were buying it. It's a little more expensive, but it's worth it. Um, so my knowledge of why I should eat it was limited, but um, I de- definitely would like to learn more about these sprouted yeah. ideas. So they have less impact on your blood sugar. Um, they're better for your microbiome. Um, those were the two big ones that st- stood out in my mind. I think I read something that it was also easier for people who more are a little gluten-sensitive. Gluten okay. Because the sp- there was something more um, easily digestible digestible about the sprouted greens yeah. like sourdough is as well right and part of it was because you have the whole literally the whole grain the mm-hmm. endosperm the i forget the three pieces yeah, of, the, <laughs> of the grain but you have all that in there um and she went on a whole thing of how yeah, whole thing. gluten sensitivity is like way overrated but we won't dig into that yeah whole. you're gonna piss some people right <laughs> Um, and then along similar lines, the fermented foods, yeah, which we've gotten really hooked on things like kimchi and sauerkraut um, in the last couple and kombucha. of years. And kombucha. And I love pickled products. Um, pickled. Always have. But one thing we're trying to figure out is, is that pickle actually fermented or is it just has it just been sitting in vinegar? Right. So that's a little weird twist that I didn't know I had to distinguish. Yeah. And I need to look into that. So you have to start looking at probably if it's like the grocery store brand cheap pickles it's probably not fermented right but if it's a little more expensive or like fancier looking it's probably maybe uh actually pickled and fermented but um again do do your research and and figure that out but this all goes back to more prebiotics better for your gut biome um and makes you more healthful all the way around so i mean yogurt is a that's a big one and and an easy one for most people that are dairy dairy dairyable um, kefir. Dairyable? <laughs> yeah, I mix stuff up. Why not? Um, kefir. Yeah, kefir is interesting. It's like a drinkable yogurt. And we, we've been buying it lately and, and taking a swig of it, if nothing else, in the afternoon. Sometimes I'll add it to a fruit smoothie if I've run out of yogurt. Yeah. So it's a it's like a quick, it's like a little shot of yogurt, isn't it? Like mm-hmm. concentrated. So um, you can get it in. I didn't know this, but real cottage cheese is fermented. Yes, you as just opposed to taught me that. The, the, more like common highly processed version that you get at your basic grocery store but real cottage cheese the way they used to make it at home back in the good old days was a fermented product as was sour cream and the normal stuff today is not um but sour cream if you have plain sour cream is very similar to yogurt so um they can in my opinion be interchanged in recipes we do that all the time um we've already mentioned yeah sauerkraut kimchi we've all our whole family is Loving kimchi. Yeah, you can throw it on wraps and sandwiches or on top of a, a like a omelet or a scramble. Yeah. And add a vinegary, you know, twist to what you're you're eating, which I think enhances well, the ass- overall acidic flavor quality yeah. of the meal anyway. Kombucha. And she went in to say like pretty much every culture in the world has like their version of a fermented food. So like tofu in, in Japan, let's say. And miso. And miso yeah, miso. Um, you know, the list she had a whole list of like yeah. all the you know big cultures in the world and almost all of them had some sort of version of fermented food. Some I, of it sounded it. pretty disgusting, but <laughs> each to their own cultures, right? Um, but disgusting yeah. Disgusting is subjective. Yeah, it is. That I probably shouldn't have said that. But um, 
Okay, we'll move on. Number three, and this is one I've been on a huge kick in the last couple of months, is adding um, grass-fed animal products right. into your diet because you were almost a vegetarian, not intentionally, but just gravitated towards vegetarianism. I was like, I'd have meat when it just sort of sounded good or looked I good. I some, yeah, but I just didn't want it. Yeah, we so didn't much. buy meat at the store, we, you know, occasionally at restaurants or like at a friend's house or something. Um, but meat wasn't like a huge thing on our to-do list. Um, and we were starting to buy organic milk. We had been doing that for several years. Yeah. And it was a bit of a... Price shock. Price. Thank <laughs> you for reading my mind. I couldn't get my words out. But it was a little bit of, yeah, sticker shock. And we were like, sticker shock. Whoa, okay, we're going to buy this. And now you've upped the ante. I've upped the ante. And you've, you've insisted that we get the grass-fed organic. And right. that's another price jump. That's another nice little price jump. But, but well worth it, I think. Well worth it because it is important what the cows are and or other animals are eating to produce their byproducts. Right. Because the milk you're drinking is this, you're drinking what the cows have been eating. Right. So if the cows are eating corn. Literally shit in some cases. Corn and shit. <laughs> Excuse my word, but yeah. Or soybeans and corn, you're drinking that in your milk. It's subquality. And it's subquality. But if they're out in a pasture eating lovely grasses and grains that they find out and there. And all the wonderful omega-3s and yeah, all that kind of stuff. then they're going to have a better quality milk. Right. So we have been buying the more expensive, better quality dairy products. Right. And I guess a side note there is that not that we have this unlimited grocery budget, but because we've eliminated other things in our in our spending habits like for example, alcohol. Which is expensive. Which is expensive. Yep. Then there is that money available to purchase better quality dairy products or animal products. Exactly. Yeah, and if you don't eat as much, you know, if you don't need animal products, or I should say meat, every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I am, I would, I think she would recommend, the author of the book, you know, the, the yogurts and things on a daily basis. But meat, you certainly don't need that every day, you know, a couple times a week. So if you cut back the volume of meat, that's also going to save a lot of money. Right. And then not to mention any packaged foods. If you've eliminated or reduced those drastically, there's a lot of, you know, more money freed up. So right there's like a lot of money freed up that now you can put into much higher quality animal products and organic vegetables and things like that. Well, and as you mentioned earlier when we were talking about this, that you... (sighs) The people who are listening to our podcast probably have the budget for better food if they can afford expensive bikes and training plans and things. Mm-hmm. But we do recognize that not everyone has that in their budget. So you just do the best you can. Right. Absolutely. You just do the best you can. Yeah. And and, and again, like at the start of the show, we, I kind of chuckled at the idea of like big agriculture and how my dad was, you know, in that and that's funded my growing up and whatnot. And there, there is a place for big agriculture. On the whole, I don't think it's a great thing. But because our planet is so overly populated, we actually sort of need big agriculture to feed the population. Um, is it ideal? No. But anyone out there that has the ability to purchase something that's not from big agriculture and you get a, a smaller farmer, you know, locally raised grass-fed mm-hmm. product, you know, why it. would you not do it? Like, yeah. like do it. Um, because if we can reduce big agriculture and, but still feed the world, so to speak, yeah. it just seems like our world's going to last a little bit longer. Yeah, so, for sure. um, 
that's a, a whole nother topic, I suppose, too. But um, anyway, grass-fed animals, the omega-3s, um, saturate, the, the, the nutshell here was saturated fats are actually good for you. Despite what we yes. were told in the 80s and 90s to avoid saturated fats, saturated fats are actually good for you. They are critically essential for cell membrane formation. So when your cells are replicating, the membrane's that out, outer layer and it needs saturated fat. Um, yes. And it's also critical for proper hormone function as well. And there's hundreds of hormones throughout our bodies and we need that saturated fat for those hormones to function properly. So um, that goes back to things like these neurological disorders and things that are more prevalent today are likely linked to people not consuming enough saturated animal fats and good quality saturated animal fats. Um, so grass fed dairy, free range eggs, um, from chickens that are out pecking the ground, eating bugs and things. Um, you know, wild game. Yeah. I'm super jealous the ultimate. of people that, yeah, somebody that, that have that in and, their life. Yeah. That, I, I agreed. I'm not a hunter, but I strictly well, heavily I follow this girl envy. on Instagram that raced with me in an Xterra in Fort Collins years ago. And she and her husband are just fantastic. They they had all their own game. They forage for mushrooms. They have a garden. I'm like, I want to come live super with you. Helpful. Yeah. Yeah, super helpful. And if you can't get the wild gra- game, go for the free-range, grass-fed right. cows, goats, sheep, um, pigs, yeah. um, chickens, you know, things like that. Snakes. <laughs> um and then along the similar lines as that is when you get these animal products, you want to eat them entirely. Like you want to eat essentially the whole animal at some point. Um, yeah, this was like her big thing. In fact, she has it as two of her four pillars was eat meat on the bone right. and eat the, the nasty bits, which, the um, organ meats. Right, and so, the skin. Yes. It, it kind of lumped in there as well. So, yeah, and that was a really interesting thing too because, again, what were we told in the 90s? Get the you know, boneless, skinless chicken breast yes. because it's, it doesn't have saturated fat and it's healthier for you. Well, it's, they're finding out that's actually not oh, true. I, I remember my mother would put a pan of chicken breast in the oven and with like no seasoning, maybe <laughs> some salt and pepper. She had taken the skin off, no oil. It was the most dry, yeah. bland, disgusting thing that we would get fed. And right. I, sorry, mom, not that you'll listen to this. <laughs> But she was doing her best because she thought if she removed the chicken skin, it would be healthier. Right. And then I remember being a young married woman, and I didn't really know how to cook. And I'd go to the store, and, oh, well, I should buy chicken breast. That's healthier. And, oh, I think just those are the better cuts of meat, the chicken breast. And, like, no, it's gross to buy the the thighs and the drumsticks. I remember thinking it was just sort of like... Like the cheaper... The cheaper, like, that's, that's like, cheaper and gross. And I don't even know what to do with those bits. Right. But that was the good stuff, like the the connective tissue, the the skin. It's all just so good for your body, right? So when you're eating the meat off the bone, you're getting those bits in there. Um, if I you're had, a giblet, I had no idea. Oh, your person. mother loves the giblets. Yeah, growing up, Thanksgiving, my mom loved the giblets, which is all the organ <laughs> bits in the in the stuffing. You know, I think I was like okay with it until I understood what it was, and then I was grossed out. Yeah, um, but. This Thanksgiving, I'm going to be eager to... You're going to eat the giblets. I'm going for the giblets. Why not? Let's do it. In fact, the other night, we had oh, a, yeah. we were treated ourselves and, and, and the kids to a fancy meal, and we ordered, one of the appetizers was a liver pate. Yes. I, I had never like a had a liver mousse little, pate. Yeah. And I was a little horrified that you'd ordered it. <laughs> we got to go for it. It was delicious. It was, it was actually it was. 
probably my favorite thing we ate that night. It was delicious, yeah. So, um, and there's ways to obtain that at some grocery stores. And well, in the book, she lists that Trader Joe's has Trader a Joe's. chicken liver mousse. Yeah, and I'm, gonna I'm sure start, Whole Foods does. I'm going to start getting it. Yeah, and if local farmers markets probably do things like that. So, um, pretty cool stuff. And then, yeah, we mentioned you know eat the skin, go for the dark meat. Um, you know, all that kind of stuff is just really good for you for the, the collagen and the elastin and all the, you know, soft tissue of the animal is really good for us. So, and that's how people used to eat. I know. And they, you know, if you want to go way back to tribes and, you know, whatnot that would kill the animal, they literally eat the entire animal. Well, I've always been fascinated by the Native American culture. And that was one of the things I thought was the coolest part that they would Kill use a buffalo yeah. and literally use every Including single... the hide for, yeah. a, you know, a, a fancy jacket. And all yeah, that I thought it was stuff, amazing. So. But I have been just not I, not very interested in animal products. And I read a book years ago about the meatpacking industry. Not the not the jungle, not, not the one people are thinking of. It was a Robin Cook novel. And I was so disgusted by it mm. that I couldn't eat meat for years. So I'm open to eating meat products and I'm really excited about trying some of the ways she's suggesting like maybe I don't want to eat a whole steak very often but if I could get the chicken liver mousse or I could eat a poached egg or I could drink the bone broth right because um I definitely want my skin to keep its collagen and elastin I mean one of the things that's hard for me as I'm getting older is I'm looking in the mirror and seeing the skin under my neck sag a little bit and the skin on my arms getting wrinkly and pathetic and right uh, I, I, i'm not really ready for that meat products quite I possibly I, yes i think be. i need to reintroduce some really helpful meat products just for the way i look and yeah. why not yeah absolutely and that leads right into the fourth one which is adding bone broth mm-hmm. to, to your diet um, and this is something we've been aware of for a few years now and a good friend of ours here locally owns a company um, called the pressery that sponsors our junior development team, We Devo, mm-hmm. but um, he has given us plenty of bone broth over the last few years, and it's amazing. Yeah, and I understood there were nutritional benefits to it, but I didn't understand the depths of the it. depths and yeah. how much and what exactly those. I know were. I'm going to give him a huge hug. Well, a, maybe a socially distanced hug next <laughs> time I see him because I feel like, yeah, like his passion for this product. I I just didn't even get how amazing it was. Yeah. And now I do from reading this book. Yeah, and and bone broth as a segment of the grocery store is is growing. I mean, I've become more aware of it. And when you go into even your basic, like, run-of-the-mill grocery store, there's bone broth options on the Mm -hmm. shelves. And then you go to, like, a Sprouts or a Vitamin Cottage or a Trader Joe's or a Whole Foods, and there's even more. And there's, like, becoming more and more of this, like, um, artisan bone broth and the glass craft. jars that are yeah like the craft bone yeah. broth and things like that and so it is catching on and it's so so beneficial um the i think what i got out of it the number one thing was that collagen mm-hmm. that you're getting which is essentially what you get when you gnaw on a bone um you're getting that in the in liquid form and right. you're getting also along with that a lot of amino acids and protein um bone marrow you know is in right. there as well and that has all kinds of benefits um well, I'm so grateful for this having the option to buy the bone broth because I don't want to buy a carcass and boil it in right. my kitchen. Yeah. And in culinary school, that was like week two of culinary school yeah, because I'm everything everything good in a good restaurant comes essentially from 
bone broth, like right. your creations, all the sauces and mm-hmm. um, soups, and it all comes from making broth. And you're using, you know, you're cutting up the good quality meats to make one dish, and you have all these bones left, and you put it in. And again, the chefs of the around the world have figured out you soak these bones. Mm-hmm. Add some herbs and flavorings, and you end up with this amazing product that is so nutrient dense and healthful for the individual that it's just unbelievable. I mean, it's literally like this anti aging serum, essentially. That, uh, yeah. It, well, you and I both love to eat Vietnamese pho soup, mm-hmm. and one of the reasons we love it so much is this flavorful beef bone broth that. Right. Wow, it's just magical. Yeah, so we knew we loved it and yeah. didn't well, understand we were getting such good yeah. nutrients. Let's go get that too. tonight. <laughs> um, yeah, so the collagen and the elastin is so good for your cell structure throughout your body. Your skin, like you mentioned, so from a vanity standpoint of you know having fewer <laughs> wrinkles and you know more elasticity to your skin for longer, huge. But it all, it's also internally too, mm-hmm. like in your blood vessels. That's and, cool. Oh, right, I did um, read that. Yeah, your arteries and veins and and all the soft tissue throughout your body is enhanced and improved and the longevity of it is increased by with the bone broth so and it's an easy easy add i mean if you if you already make soups just use bone broth as the base if you cook rice or quinoa use bone broth when you're making it yeah i think we need to just distinguish that we're not talking about bouillon we're talking about bone broth right there is a difference there is a difference yeah it's actually made from actual bones being cooked in liquid and water and the flavor gets pulled out of the bones and creates this broth um and it's yeah it's just amazing stuff and you can even drink it too and that's what i've come to kind of enjoy it's a little rough right now when it's 90 degrees outside but Mm -hmm. in you know in the cooler months you know heat up a little cup of chicken bone broth and it's quite good actually i'm pretty sure ian's company the pressery their marketing person's really good about their social media. I think she even had some recipes about putting the bone broth in fruit smoothies. Oh, I I, I'll be honest, I haven't tried it. Okay. But she, I remember seeing several Let's recipes. find those and try it, yeah. Yeah, it'd be I'm kind game. of interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think those were like the biggest yeah, takeaways it's, it's good stuff. from this book. I mean, um, yeah, really good stuff. I highly recommend anyone that's looking to improve their health through nutrition, which is the number one way to do it, um, this is like the book. I think. Yeah, I, I want to send a copy to each person in my family. I, I, well, I'm not Christmas, being dramatic. But, yeah. I, I feel like this book is life changing. Yeah, and funny enough, I stumbled upon it. Um, it was actually when I was heading out of town to go to Winter Park for the training camp, and I was at Sprouts getting groceries and stuff and needed a book and so they had a kind of a small little book section oh yeah and i was thumbing through all of them and i wasn't yes i'll take this one yeah i wasn't that excited about any of them and this was the one i was like all right i'll just take this one and then it's like the best book i've ever read so the name of the book in case you are just joining in uh deep nutrition by Catherine shanahan md yes very good um well cool i think we'll step down from our Soapbox. Oh my gosh, we talked a long time. We're just very excited about it. Yeah, it's this. a great topic. I don't think this is that long. <laughs> Some people do two hour long podcasts. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, but yeah, we'll step down off our soapbox. Hopefully, you've hung in there and, and listened, and if not, enjoyed listening to what we were talking about. And, you know, take any of it, none of it, all of it. I mean, it's, it's up to you guys. We just wanted to share what has gotten us excited recently. And, 
things that we're doing with our diet and things we're influencing our athletes to at least try. Um, and uh, thought we wanted to share with you. Yeah, for sure. Thank you, Cody. You bet. Um, okay, if you have any questions, go to our forum on our website or you can email us at Cody at teamweight.com or Kathy at teamweight.com. And we'd love, love, love if you subscribe to our podcast, either on iTunes or Google, and leave a quick rating and a review. It does help. Um, overall, people can find us better if there are more ratings and review. Yeah, reviews. get a bigger reach. So definitely do that if you can. Everything we discuss on the Weight Endurance Podcast, we integrate into our annual Base Builder training program and downloadable training plans. Our Base Builder program is an annual online virtual group training program with us as your coaches, allowing you to build your best cycling-based fitness possible to prepare you for your next riding season. We also offer downloadable training plans for base building, cycling-specific strength training, and specialized race preparation for road, gravel, mountain bike racing, and everything in between. Consider our training plan subscription service, where you gain access to all of our training plans for as little as $20 per month. This allows you to easily switch between plans to create your most complete annual training progression. Regardless of the type of cyclist you are, by becoming a part of the weight endurance training community, you're allowing us to help you become a fitter and faster cyclist.